Ah! Glenn. Good morning. And welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, March the 5th. Um, it is, it's March. We are in month number three already. Our scripture today is John eleven thirty eight 38 through 44. And once again, oh, Bible uh, Sunday school group, it's the same scripture that we kind of went over in class today, but such is such. This is in the book of John, among Jesus' seven signs, this is the last and greatest of the signs. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench. He has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that it would that uh, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for have you I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were browned with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Blessed is the word. Lazarus, it often feels like it's just another one of those stories. And when we, we talk about it, the reason we talk about it is, well, because Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Not very common in the Bible, but it happens more than once people are brought back from the dead. I mean... There's Elijah and Elisha who both do it themselves. And, and even Elisha's bones do it once when somebody is accidentally dumped on top of his grave and brings them back from the dead. And Jesus does it a couple times. There's like Jairus' uh, daughter who, who Jesus brings back. There was one I, I didn't expect when I was looking at a list, never really thought about it. But I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke we are told when Jesus dies on the cross, there's that earthquake and that many who were recently dead came back out of the tomb, which I, I hadn't thought about. I guess part of me thought, oh, it's because there's an earthquake and the tombs are cracked. No, it is a yeah, bunch of people back from the dead. Almost sounds like the beginning of some horror novel, except they were alive, not just walking dead. Anyway. But the Lazarus story is special. You may notice, if you, if you read the gospel in full, that once you hit the Lazarus story, everything slows down. You know, the, the whole of the gospel before, and we, we've gone through this. There were four stories in a row about how Jesus interacted with the four major institutions of the church of the of the Jewish um, of the Jewish 
ay, 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 Jewish society, you know, Jesus at the wedding, Jesus at a school, Jesus at the temple, Jesus at the town center. Then we had Jesus interacting with the four major festivals or holy days, Jesus at Sabbath, Passover, um, dedication of the temple, and uh, festival of the tabernacle. So Jesus again at the, you know, and, and they seem to be spread out over a time. But when we hit the Lazarus story, we start talking about days. It starts the countdown to Passover, the countdown to his death. Everything slows down. Now, Jesus isn't going to be arrested and put onto the cross for several chapters. So this whole last section is Jesus giving his, his final words of wisdom and teachings to his disciples. There's not going to be any more traveling. There's not going to be any more going here and there. There's not going to be any more real miracles. It's done. Lazarus is the end of the signs until Jesus' resurrection. So who is this Lazarus? We don't know. This, this is Lazarus's one mention in the Bible. He's mentioned here and nowhere else or in, con in connection to his sisters later. Now, yeah, there is another Lazarus mentioned in a parable, you know, the, the poor man and the rich man who, who die, and the poor man who's called Lazarus. It's, it's just like, you know, if, if I tell you about a story where I make up about a guy named Adam. I've got several friends named Adam. It's not any of them I'm talking about. I'm just using a common name. That was the story there. He's just throwing out Lazarus because it's the name that popped into his head. Probably because it has other connotations to it as well. But anyway, what we know about him, he lives in Bethany, not very far from, G from Jerusalem. He's got two sisters, Mary and Martha, who are not mentioned in any connection to any husbands, which is odd for a lot of these stories a lot of this time. So we figure that they're they're probably unmarried, that they live at home with Lazarus. And Martha and Mary, it may be the same ones that appear, I think it's the book of Matthew, where, you know, Martha's in there doing all the work and Mary is just hanging out at Jesus' feet and Martha gets annoyed. We, we all know that story too, right? You know, it might be the same ones, it might not. You couldn't throw a stone down a road in ancient Jerusalem and not hit a Mary. And it would probably bounce off her head and hit a Martha. It was super common mix. I mean, how many Marys are there in the New Testament alone? Like, if you pull up, like, so, I, you know, I make these, these things that go up on our Facebook or whatnot. And so for International Women's Day, I thought, oh, I'll take a list of all the women in, in the Bible. And I'm going to create a real quick graphic out of that. Take me, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Well, I pulled it up, and you go down through the list of all the Marys, and they all have Mary, da-da-da, Mary, da-da-da, Mary, 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 Mary. There's too many Marys. Anyway, this Mary and Martha, as we don't know who they are beyond the fact that they are, brother, they are sisters and that they have a brother named Lazarus. It probably is not, you know, any of the other Marys in the Bible, not Mary Magdalene or whatnot, the, you know, the other Mary, and then it's also listed. It's just, take it as it is. So anyway, 
We don't really know their full story, except that they are good friends with Jesus. Enough so that they, they know who Jesus is, and, and when Lazarus gets sick, they send word to Jesus right away. Imagine what it had to be like for those two. Not only is Lazarus their brother, you know, the beloved man in their family, you know, and the way they, they, they put all these things, it's probably two single sisters living with their brother. He may or may not be married. He's probably their sole supporter. Without him around, they have absolutely nothing. Not to mention he's family. So they send word to Jesus. Jesus isn't in the area anymore. He has moved away. He is now living down by the Jordan. Because things haven't gone so well at the last festival. They were ready to stone him. This is last week's story, remember? They were ready to stone Jesus, and Jesus said, why are you stoning me? And they said, well, because you're committing blasphemy. And then he made an argument, no, we, I'm not. And, and then Jesus got away and down onto the Jordan, you know, about maybe a two days walk for him. I don't know for sure. But he makes his way all the way out there. And he's staying away. It's dangerous for him. He knows what will happen if he goes back to Jerusalem. He got away this time, but the next time he goes back, he's probably not going to be so lucky. He has gone and run away from Jerusalem several times. He has snuck back a couple times. He has been open about his comings a couple times, but none of them have worked out very well. He has a following. He also has a lot of people who don't like him. So Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and along comes a messenger, probably has walked for a day or so. Jesus, I have a message from Mary and Martha. Lazarus is sick. We need you to come. They had faith. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus could do. Evidently, though, they thought Jesus had to be present for it to work, but... You know, if you don't know the mechanics of how miracles work, you just go with what you do know. So they knew that Jesus could lay hands on people and heal them. In Jesus' response, okay. Here are the other disciples. Jesus, let, let's go. Lazarus, let's go. Oh, wait, is that a good idea? Should we go, Jesus? Jesus like, no, nah, nah, we're not going yet. They hang out for a couple days. They ask, you know, Jesus, should we, we go see Lazarus? Jesus says, no, he's sleeping. And they're like, oh, that's great. He's asleep. I know how I feel when I am sick. You know, all I want to do is sleep. But, you know, I got a cough. I've got a runny nose. My body hurts. I've been laying on this couch for, like, all day and nothing feels good anymore. There's no comfortable position. I will never sleep again. Sorry, a little of my grace just slipped out there. I'll never, I'll never sleep again whenever she feels unwell. And Jesus does his dope slap. 
doesn't do a lot of dope slaps in John versus the other Gospels, but I see him doing a dope slap and going, no, he's dead. Oh. And then Jesus goes, I'm going to see him now. Now, at some point in these last couple days, the disciples have realized it's not a good idea to go back to Bethany. It's too close to Jerusalem. That's too close to the danger. And so they go, Jesus turns and goes, and the disciples are all kind of standing there. And eventually, and I think it's Thomas who says this, Thomas goes, well, if he's going to go die, we might as well go with him. Remember, Downing Thomas was a very loyal person. He wasn't going to leave Jesus to go by himself. So he follows Jesus. They all follow Jesus. And in the Sunday school, you know, we watched today what that trek might have been like. You know, and, and John doesn't tell us where Jesus was exactly. Um, but we know it's down by the Jordan, maybe down by Jericho. It's a hike. Jericho is much lower down than Jerusalem. So you hike up along these mountain passes where, you know, you've got a mountain on one side and a drop off on the other. And up this long hike they go until at last they reach Bethany. And they get there and out runs Martha, out runs Mary, and they're weeping. Jesus, why didn't you come? Jesus, why weren't you here? You know our brother loved you. You know that we love you. How could you leave us in this lurch? How could you let him die? Jesus sees all the emotion on their faces. He can feel it. He sees the emotion on his friends' faces, the disciples, the, the friends of Mary and Martha who are there. In himself, he feels something. Now, mind you, Jesus knows fully what's going to happen here. Jesus knows that this is, you know, that, that Lazarus is going to be walking out of that tomb in just a couple minutes, and everything's going to be absolutely fine. either by seeing his friends and how distraught they are, or the very fact that even knowing what is going to happen, he feels the sadness for himself at the loss of his dear friend. He begins to weep. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, unless you have the NRSV like I do, and they make it four words. But Jesus wept. Simple straightforward, full of so much. This is the Gospel of John. I got to point this out. This is the Gospel of John. This isn't Matthew or Luke or Mark, you know, where, where Jesus is God and he kind of knows it, but at the same time, he, he's a lot human. This is John, where John is like, look, this Jesus is just one half step down from being a fully divine being here on earth. Like, the only reason he doesn't have a halo over his head and that you could stare to stand to look at him is that much. This is Jesus who knows everything that's happening. But John needs to point out to us that even God, Jesus at this 99.9% .9 God feels like we do, experiences things like we do. 
This is the God who weeps. The God who weeps with us. The God who weeps for us. He then says to Mar Mary and Martha, come, let's go. And they get to the tomb and open the tomb. Jesus, he's been dead four days. I don't know about you. I, I haven't been around too many bodies that have been sitting out for four days, but I've come across a couple deer kills over my days walking through the woods. And you know what? You can tell when there's been a deer lying there for four days. I mean, you can tell when like a mouse has died in the wall after one day. You can tell when a deer has, and a deer is roughly human-sized, right? It's got to stink. It's got to stink bad, and it's inside an enclosed area. Now, mind you, it's probably cooler than the rest of everything else outside. I mean, it's inside a cave, and caves are naturally cooler, but still... So they go and they remove the stone because Jesus tells them to. And Jesus looks in and says, Nazareth, come out. And out he hops. I assume hop. He's been bound. He doesn't look like a mummy. We're not going that far. If you see an image and Lazarus is jumping out like a mummy, no, not exactly. Or he's doing, you know, the, the waddle. They would tie their arms down and whatnot because, you know, rick and mortis would do things and you didn't want to have to go in and you'd see your, you know, grandma in there and rick and mortis. No, you'd tie everything in place and you'd cover their face with a cloth and it made it more acceptable to go see your recently deceased one. Knowing my grandma Lois, that is how she would want you to, to come see her. I'm sorry, this is just... I, I remember when we had Glenn's funeral in here, and Glenn had wanted to work out at some point that he would be able to sit up in the coffin and wave at people. Body's nodding her head, yep. <laughs> anyway, out he, he hops... And they go and they help him and he's, he's great. Now we don't really hear anything else about Lazarus. That's kind of the end of his story. He's going to pop up a little bit later because within a day or two they're, eat, they're eating at his house and, and we're, we're actually introduced to Mary as this is the Mary who anointed Jesus and, and cleaned him with her hair. Uh, yeah. But that story doesn't actually happen until after we're introduced to Lazarus in this story. It's the next chapter's beginning. Now, here's the thing. Jesus brings this man back from the dead. Now, in the other Gospels, when we have people brought back from the dead, or even in, in the Old Testament, it's a standalone kind of miracle. You know, it just happens. It's, it's just a part of what Jesus or the... the the, the prophet can do. They can bring people back from the dead. Like, I've got the power, and now you're alive. 
You know, and it, there, there's some nuance to it. I mean, Luke is obviously making a reference to how Jesus is like Elijah. And Elijah brought someone back from the dead, so it's the last miracle that Jesus does while he's still hanging out around Capernaum. He's pointing out. But the story of Lazarus is not the same. The raising of one man, of giving life back to Lazarus, has a cost. And the cost is Jesus' life. You cannot give life to a man without taking a life away. There seems to be some kind of equivalent exchange that has to happen. This is Jesus. He could have done this without going there. We know that from the stories in the other Gospels, like when the centurion's son is, is sick at home. He doesn't go see the kid. He just heals him from a distance. He doesn't need to go see Lazarus. He can just go, and he's alive. Of course, he's stuck behind the door of a tomb, but that's another problem that could probably be solved by somebody. I'm not sure. Jesus makes a conscious choice to go, to go where he is not wanted, to go where he is hated, to go where they want him to die. In many ways, the Lazarus story is setting us up for what Jesus is going to do on the cross. There has to be some kind of exchange that happens. He can't just forgive everyone's sins. Now, as we were talking about in the, in the Sunday school class, I really recommend the Sunday school class. They are like right on top of this material right now, which is a great way that it all sets, segues together. Anyway, that the day that Jesus will go in on, in the book of John, the, way, the day that he goes in is the day that everybody coming to Passover will select their sin offerings to God, their uh, spotless, blameless, perfect lamb to take on the sins that they had accumulated over the year and make them right with God. And that, of course, is, as we said, it's the day that Jesus will come into Jerusalem. Things can't just simply be done. They have to be done the right way. Jesus so loved this man. This man we have really no other idea about besides the fact that Jesus loved him so dearly that he walked away from where he was safe to where he was in danger. And by doing this, he is going to get a ton of attention. This isn't a quiet little thing that happens. It's not like, you know, it's something that happens over in Sheffield and we don't hear about it over here. No, it, a crowd of people watch it happen. And after it happens, it spreads through all the area around. They all know what Jesus did. It is this, it is this happening that will finally push the temporal elite the, 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 the you know, Caiaphas, the, the high priest and all of them, this is what will push them to be like, no, this man cannot stay alive. We have given him every chance. 
We have given him chances to, to recant what he has said. He has always refused. We have given him chances to run away. We have not chased him into the wilderness. Uh, once he left here, we let him be. But he has come back one too many times, and he has come back and done something so out there we cannot let him live. Now, part of this is definitely because they're making a buck off of this whole temple system. They don't need a new Messiah to come in and mess that up. Another part of it is they're all afraid. Because what happens when Messiahs show up at Jerusalem? The Romans get a little stabby-stabby. And it doesn't end well for anybody. It doesn't end well for the people in the streets. It doesn't end well for the people who are sitting in seats of power. It doesn't end well for anyone. So they have to get rid of this Messiah. Jesus was making a conscious decision. He was trading Lazarus's life for his. Lazarus would regain, and Jesus was going to lose. Just as living a blameless life, he would take on all sin. He was giving up perfection so that all of us might attain it. We are almost to the end of Jesus' story in John. We have seen through miracles, through signs, we have seen who this man is, that he is something greater than us, something greater than human. We have seen how he challenges everything about our lives, every system, every feature of it, how we think about our relationships between ourselves and our spouses, ourselves and our children, ourselves and the community, how we think about our holy spaces, how we think about our holy days, how we think about every space we go into, how we think about life. Jesus has challenged us to recenter them on a new and old teaching of love of God. Now he will spend a couple chapters showing what that looks like as he does things like washing the people who follows him their feet. He's going to tell them how to live this kind of life. He's going to prepare them for a terrible, terrible couple days. And when this is all over, he will take, he will take us, everything broken in us. He will bear it like one of those lambs and come back clean so that we too are clean that we too may walk in the way of God. Are you prepared? Holy Week is almost here. Thank you. I, you know, I didn't always understand the book 
the story of Lazarus as a child and as a young adult. I've grown to love it even more since, since Sophie. You know, the idea that, that Jesus cries because we are in pain. That Jesus cries because he loves us. Jesus shows what it is to be human, to care so deeply, to care so deeply that you cry even when you know that salvation is around the corner. To live the kind of life that is willing to give up its own safety, to be willing to give up its own life, to do what is right the love of a friend, for the love of a brother or a sister. Jesus does that for us. And all that's asked is we live that kind of love every day. So go out, live, and love as Christ has loved us. Amen.